Welcome to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan. I am the football grump, and with me, as always, is Mike, the Cranky Fan. What's going on, Mike? What's going on? What's going on, Grump? What's uh? Got some exciting news for you today. Yeah, we got some exciting news. I'm uh, I'm wearing pants this time. Yeah, great. Well, <laughs> better than that. Our little podcast has graduated to the big time. We are now on iTunes. So, you know, you can keep following us on SoundCloud, but now we actually are a big boy podcast where you can actually download and listen at your leisure. So if you go to iTunes, search for Just Giants or the Just Giants podcast, and you see our two ugly mugs, subscribe to us. And every time we uh, have a new episode, it'll be right on your smartphone. So how exciting is that? It's pretty exciting. And as always, you can... Uh, follow us on Twitter at, at JustGiantsPod or me personally at, at Football underscore Grump. You could catch me at The Cranky Fan. And uh, it would help also if you give us a review and tell us how terrible we are and how much lack of knowledge we have about the Giants and how crazy we are. Uh, or you can send us an email at JustGiantsPodcast at gmail.com. I'm interested in your opinion on which mug is uglier. <laughs> I'll give you a hint. It's a mic. <laughs> All right. So today is the first ki- first day of minicamp. It is mandatory. And as expected and as we told you, Odell Beckham showed up today, no problem whatsoever, and admitted that he was training the whole time he was gone. Duh. Yeah, our long, our long national nightmare is over. You know, another big story blown out of proportion for nothing. You know, it's uh, – you know, he has been working out with his trainer in L.A. the whole time. You know, every time you see a picture of him with Johnny Manziel, you're quick to freak out. But, oh, they're working out together. So, you know, in reality, it might be a better thing for Beckham because you can do more things when you're not part of the program, you know, at that time than you are on your own. You know, you can only do so much time working out at the facility, so much time in in uh pads and shorts with the team but when you're out doing your thing you're doing your thing well that's the so thing. when you're when you're training by yourself everything is more personalized you're improving your weaknesses you're not part of any sort of broad spectrum structure yeah so i think you know the coaches obviously didn't have a problem with it of course they're going to give a little lip service to it'd be great to have everybody here but you know this is not a nine-year-old you know team of kids you know and this is not you know kumbaya these are professionals and he is not a rookie he knows this offense probably as well as everybody does at this point. So, I, I, you know, OTAs were so important, they wouldn't be optional. So, Yeah, and, and this is not a guy that we have I – would, I would be concerned if Beckham had a reputation of being lazy or not wanting to win. Of all the criticisms of Odell Beckham, that those are not – Yeah, let's not confuse showboating and, you know, the hysterics with being a – uh, a bad teammate or being a guy who doesn't hustle or doesn't do maximum effort you know we we've never heard a story of him loafing in practice or you know doing anything that's not required of him or expected of him um you know don't expect him to be a vocal leader because the guy is still getting into his you know third year in the league or fourth year whatever he's in now but you know let's let's not confuse what the perception is of one thing with something else that he's not. And with that said, the only person of note that did not show up was uh, Owamabe Odigazua. Still kind of concerning to me that uh, he's dealing with whatever personal issues, but 
it's not going to help his case at all to enter into the defensive end rotation. Yeah, it's definitely something where the coaches are aware of what's going on. They they have you know mentioned it is a personal issue. We know he had that cryptic tweet way back in the off season that you know some people took to say he's retiring or leaving the game or or whatever. And there's obviously something going on there bigger than football. And you know we hope for the best for him. But you know as far as his either his roster spot or his spot in the regular rotation. It's definitely up for grabs right now. Yeah, for sure. We've at length discussed the many ways that the Giants were strong and weak last year and have spent the offseason using free agency and the draft addressing the weaknesses to become stronger. But we haven't talked about are the teams that the Giants will play twice a year. Uh, so we're going to spend today going over the NFC East rosters, how they were in 2016, and in what ways they've changed. Um, as the Giants were going to face them. So when I looked at this, I was a little surprised that my conclusion came to that only one team, in my opinion, got better overall. Um, and that team was the Philadelphia Eagles. Well, um, they, couldn't, they, they couldn't have been much worse. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's true. Um, so, you know, just, just briefly I'll go over what, what I perceived their strengths and weaknesses to be last year. Um, I thought that Carson Wentz as a passer was a strength last year. It was something that uh, he's clearly comfortable doing. Um, the leadership aspect, the, the confidence aspect of being a quarterback was not a huge issue for the rookie. Except he wasn't accurate by throwing more than 10 yards. Uh, yes, but uh, one of the one of the great weaknesses for the Eagles last year was their wide receiver core. They did not have a whole lot of weapons for him to utilize, and and, and that franchise is a, a bit of a mess. Um, I'm saying this that to me they were the most overall improved, but they finished last in the division last year, and it makes me very happy to say that. The combination of having a rookie coach that quite often appeared like he was in over his head, and I think also the the crazy expectations because they had a little bit of a fast start. You know, Carson, uh, Wentz mania was all over Philly for like the first two, three weeks. I think people were you know a little out of, above their skis a little bit with the expectations what that team actually was. And, you know, the inexperience of the head coach kind of showed in some um, late game play calling late in the season and stuff. And it kind of tumbled and soured towards the end of the season. So I, I think, you know, ending up seven to nine is kind of, about what we thought they'd be, you know, all said and done before the season started, how they ended up. Sure. And uh, let's not forget that this is a franchise that in the past has done terrible things in free agency, uh, wasted a lot of money um, just kind of throwing it blindly at, at big-name free agents. Unlike the way the Giants did it last year where they took only young guys at the top of their game just peaking into Pro Bowl form and when they had – all the cap space in the world to do it. The Eagles just sort of, it seems a couple years in a row, we're just throwing money blindly at one or two guys. Like Byron Maxwell sticks out really badly as just a poor free agency move. Oh, the corner from Oakland. What's his name? That was you know, the one oh, who was just if, like. If you want to go back to 2011, <laughs> yeah, Namdi Asamoah. Well, that's pretty much where yeah. it started. That was that was the fabled dream team Philadelphia Eagles roster. That's where it started, and they're still reeling from that. I mean, they've, in in my opinion, the way they did this offseason is they've they've sort of moved away from that a little bit. Um, 
but we'll get into that in a minute. Um, I thought that a couple of their other strengths um, were the pass rush. I think they did a pretty good job getting after the quarterback. I know the Giants had a lot of trouble with them, and I think they might have the best tight end group in the, in the NFC East. I would say that, and if you know, if it, we get to Washington, if Jordan Reed is healthy, I think that Washington might be a little better. But yeah, for me, that's the tiebreaker. Is that Jordan Reed hasn't had consistent injury for years, so. But, right. but other than that, to me, the, those two tight end groups are, are tied. Um, the weaknesses, I would say that the back seven on this team is terrible. The coverage is just awful. Um, and I didn't think they had much of a running game for a team that had Darren Sproles. Yeah, I mean, and having a bad uh, secondary could be a major problem when you're playing, you know, against a combination of Brandon Marshall, Odell Beckham, and, you know, and Shepard, and, you know... It, it's it's one uh, unit you do not want to have exposed back there in this division. And the Giants have seen that. Giants fans will remember how bad the defense was, and it started in the secondary. So the way the free agency rolled out for the Eagles is they, they lost three key pieces, and uh, it's all on the defensive side. So we're off to a bad start with them. But they lost <laughs> probably a top five run stuffer and defensive tackle Benny Logan. They lost defensive end Connor Barwin and their corner, their best corner, Nolan Carroll, um, who actually went to Dallas. Um, when I say Nolan Carroll was their best corner, though, it's really not saying much. I think he's pretty <laughs> terrible. Sometimes it's addition by subtraction. <laughs> yes. And he, he took quite a hefty amount of money so for for once the eagles did not overspend to keep somebody like benny logan took a huge deal to leave um and nolan carroll took a big deal but he, he's not worth keeping around uh but the way that the eagles took the uh, approach to the draft was actually pretty impressive uh they selected Derek barnett in the first round from tennessee sydney jones from washington to uh address their corner situation they drafted another corner in Rasul Douglas, wide receiver Mac Hollins, running back Donnell Pumphrey, wide receiver Shelton Gibson, safety Nate Jerry, and nose tackle Elijah Qualls. Derek Barnett, he's he's a badass. I mean, I obviously watched him play Tennessee the last couple of years, and just one of those guys you know is going to have a you know seven, eight, nine year run in the NFL as, as being a. Uh, a strong outside guy, you know, gave uh, gave the Gators all sorts of fits in the second half of that game last year. So, you know, just kind of the type of guy you expect to end up in Philly. One of the things I was worried about. And one of the things that I liked about Derek Barnett is, to me, he was a very true 4-3 defensive end. So many times in college, these guys that come out are sort of that hybrid 3-4. Do they stand up or do they have the right weight and height? they have the right length? This guy was a true 4-3 defensive end. He's going to fit very well into Jim Schwartz's system. I think they did a great job selecting him. I think he addresses the need. And the the loss of Connor Barwin is pretty much subsided from my perspective. I think it'll be a net gain, you know, once this guy gets a little experience in the league. It may not be necessarily this year, but, you know, maybe 2018 and going on. Yeah. Um, and corner Sidney Jones was the incredible corner who um, actually ruptured his Achilles in the uh, – combined process i think at his pro day they did address their back seven and he's a very promising young man but uh you know it's gonna it's gonna have to be put on hold a little bit but they didn't panic you know they they needed to address their back seven they took a guy who has a future i i still like the pick i i thought he was a first round talent the fact that he is not going to be able to play his rookie year is a setback for him but it's not a career ender, you know. If this team is looking to build for the long term, then it's a smart move. Yeah, I would agree. And they they got 
great uh, value with nose tackle Elijah Qualls. He's definitely not going to replace Benny Logan, but being drafted in the seventh round, I thought he would go much higher. Now yeah. we go to the, the Philadelphia Eagles addition by addition. Um, they went ham going after wide receivers, and man, did they need it. Um, they they took two very highly regarded wide receivers in Torrey Smith and Alshon Jeffrey, probably the best wide receiver on the market. Yeah, but Alshon Jeffrey does come with some risk, too. I mean, he's another guy that never seems to be healthy, and he had an issue also. Didn't he have a drug issue or something in the offseason? Yeah, he has a, or, um, yeah, a uh, failed drug test. Yeah, so that's uh, – it's not a squeaky clean pick and, you know, not a, uh, a risk-free one. No, it's not. But I don't take Alshon Jaffrey to be an idiot. I think he knows that his off-the-field stuff really did hurt his free agency. Um, and I think that he's going to reward Philly with good performance and being clean off the field. Torrey Smith, to me, is a little bit more of a one-trick pony. But I think he'll fill that Deshaun Jackson role of you know taking the top off of a defense that they've completely missed since Deshaun Jackson left. It's been years. I also think he's a better receiver than Deshaun Jackson was too. I think Deshaun Jackson had more speed than but I think this guy's more a complete receiver. Absolutely. He's better hands as well. Yeah. Uh, they also went out and took Timmy Jernigan to take the defensive tackle role and I think that he'll fill Benny Logan's spot pretty well. Um, obviously not as well but this is this is a good defensive tackle on Timmy Jernigan. I think a first round pick when he was drafted. Yes, a slight underachiever in, in the NFL, but still, it, I think a solid pickup. Yeah, uh, they address their offensive line by adding Chance Warmack, another guy who was a first round pick, if I'm not mistaken, to play guard. Interesting how the NFC East is trying to reclaim former first round picks in the offensive line. See what they can do. I mean, yeah. we did the same thing. They addressed their departing defensive end and cornerback by adding Patrick Robinson and Chris Long, two moves I really like because they didn't pay Patrick Robinson a lot so if he ends up panning out then he pans out. If not they didn't waste a whole lot of money on him, which has been Philly's problem. Chris Mm -hmm. Long on the other hand is a great defensive end for the short period of time that they need him to be until Derek Barnett I think is up and running as the the star on the defensive line. And if nothing else it just adds depth to to their rotation too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, and and veteran leadership. I think he's a guy that he knows the technique really well, so mm-hmm. he knows how to guide the younger players into using their hands correctly and what to expect when an offensive tackle, you know, steps back with his left foot or you know the the little things, the, the little tips and tricks of being in the league for a while. Um, they also added Legarrette Brunt, Blunt, and Stefan Wisniewski. Uh, they they really did need to add a center. A backup center, so it wasn't bad that they picked up Wisniewski. LeGarrette Blunt, you know, to help the running game, whatever, sure. He's a guy that Giant fans were panting about before he decided to sign with Philly, and now it's like, oh, who cares? I mean, he's a, you know, for what he is, he's, he serves a very solid role. I mean, he led the league in in touchdowns last year. That that tells you his value in the short yardage game and, you know, in a goal line situation. Um you know, I think if the Giants had invested very highly in running backs the last two years in the draft, he'd be a Giant right now. So, you know, I, I think it's a it's a nice move for him. It's it's kind of sucks when you see like a guy like that kind of land in your division, but oh well. But he's also not a superstar move. I don't think that he's going to fix their anemic running game right away. But he'll complement Darren Sproles pretty well. I think their running game will be helped a lot by more of a, a uh, potential to 
have the intermediate and long passing game, which they did not have last year. So you can start creeping guys up in the box and stuff when you have no threat of the passing game. Now you might see you know, with the added weapons a potential for more of that, and that will help you know by nature open up the uh, you know their their running game. Of course, it didn't really impact us last year since we had a <laughs> deep passing game and couldn't that's, run the ball. But that's you know. <laughs> true. Yeah. Um, the way I see it, um, the Eagles next year a lot is going to hinge on Carson Wentz's development, um, and I think that the top brass in Philadelphia's organization knows that, so they added plenty of firepower to his offense, gave him plenty of targets to throw to. Um, however, the way they do that by adding, you know veteran wide receivers and stuff it's going to take time to gel and learn an entirely new offense so it may not work right away but it could help towards the end of the the, in the the stretch there they might pick up some speed in the last couple games of the year um i think the run defense took uh, a really huge hit losing benny logan and i don't think timmy jernigan is enough to offset that loss and um as far as the draft goes i did like the way that they drafted i think they drafted a little bit towards the future though i don't think they added significant immediate players in the draft and i think that Derek barnett and Sidney jones their first two draft picks were graded on a very wide spectrum in the, in the draft process by analysts and people who know more than i do um you know there were a lot of people who thought that this could be like they could be boom picks and there were a lot of people that thought that, you know, maybe they were drafted a little too high or, you know, Sidney Jones a lot was made out of his pro day workout and, you know, the numbers he was able to put up. But they could both end up busting. And I'm not really sure they did enough to address their past coverage issues. But overall, I think that the Eagles addressed all of their departing free agents, who they were going to keep and who they were going to let go. And they started replacing um, – Immediately with free agents, but also in the draft for the future. I thought they did a pretty good job this offseason. I think they've addressed needs for a longer term than short term, and I think they're actually going to take a step back this year. I mean, I, if we want to take our very first stab at predictions and uh, where are they going to finish in the division, I think they're going to come in fourth in the division. I predict them to be about six and ten. Uh, you may see some development from Carson Wentz again with the weapons and you know having a year under his belt to to grasp the offense more, but I just still think there's a lot of gaps that can cause big problems, especially in this division. Now, having said that, I still figure there's that one game where they absolutely destroy the Giants this year, which they do, seems like every year, usually in Philly, but overall, I, I can see this team, I think they're going to be another 6-10 team this year. Yeah, I could certainly see that. I think the, the main thing that I, I liked about Carson Wentz is that the, the confidence last year. I, I think that he he really knew what it took to be a quarterback, whether he was adjusted to the speed of the NFL game or not. You saw the guy taking risks. He threw a lot of balls. Um, he rolled out of the pocket. He stood strong in the pocket. He did a lot of stuff that, say, Dak Prescott did not do. Where I, I understand that the Cowboys were on a playoff run and why why fix what isn't broken with your running game, but. I, I saw legitimate development from a first-round pick, uh, or legitimate promise from a first-round pick, whereas with Dak Prescott, I saw a game manager. Um, yeah, yeah, we'll get into them in a minute, but yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. I see I see a higher upside for Wentz, you know, two, three, four years down the road uh, than what Dak was. But again, it depends on what kind of offense you're trying to run. And, you know, again, well, I don't want to bleed too much into our Cowboy discussion, but... Dak Prescott is the perfect quarterback for the offense they're trying to run the personnel that they have. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and and that's one of the problems. I I've I've said it before. I'm going to say it all the time. But the but football is the ultimate team sport. However, when there's a guy like Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, a quarterback who can do a lot on his own with very little talent around him, it becomes so much harder to play a team like that, where a guy can put his team on his back and and you know make things happen down the field. Um, well, I think Wentz is a long way from that happening just no, yet. No, no, no. But I, I'm <laughs> yeah. comparing the difference between Dak Prescott and Carson Wentz, whereas Carson Wentz is a guy who is throwing the ball. He's moving outside of the pocket. He's trying to make things happen uh, and had almost no talent on offense around him last year. Whereas with Dak Prescott, in order for Dak Prescott to succeed in the system that he was in last year, it requires a full, complete offensive line. It requires a great running back. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Like he needs that team to lead that offense right but there's one there's one thing to consider also with Dak is that I don't think he was given the full playbook during training camp and even the beginning of the season I always thought that they've considered him like a a short-term solution you know even if you know a a temporary one until uh you know he started to flounder and and Tony Romo was ready to play or maybe you consider because who who they they also signed last year Sanchez yeah I mean I think the the original plan was that Sanchez was going to be the starting quarterback. And I think just Dak, Dak had those out of his ass preseason games, which we all kind of laughed and said, who cares this preseason? But, you know, so he made the proper preparation for the season that he absolutely will this year. And maybe Wentz had, you know, going back to circle in this thing, that he was more prepared for than, than Dak was. That's a fair point. Yeah. I can't argue with that. So we want to talk about those uh, cowgirls now since we've already uh, broke the seal. We can move to – yeah. (laughs) Let's piss all over the place. All right. (laughs) So the the Cowboys were 13-3 last year, finished first in the division. Um, In my opinion, uh, I thought they took a step back this offseason, but I'll still say that they, of the three we're going to review today, are are still in the best position to win. I mean, the strengths for this team are pretty obvious, right? Uh, the offensive line, best offensive line in the league, probably. Uh, and for that reason, the running game is great because they took a great running back. Zeke is pretty special, though, and you could just see it immediately. And you have, you know, a monster offensive line and an offense built to exploit that offensive line. And, and you saw what he could do last year. And now, you know, again, another year at the playbook, another year of not kind of feeling yourself as a rookie, you know, going from. 13 games to 17 games. You know, it, it's a huge, huge difference. Yeah, that Another is, year that is being, true. Being in their, in their program, their, their, their strength and conditioning program. I didn't think that he really wore down at all down the stretch, but he did carry the workload for that team all year. I'm sure he had the sorest offseason of his life. <laughs> I, I bet. I would say that kicker is also a, a big strength for the Cowboys. I think it says a lot when you only have to get to like the 35-yard line to be in scoring position. It's That's crazy. Um, especially, especially with an offense like theirs, which is pretty ball controlled, run the ball, yeah, exactly. You know, run down clock. You know, it, it's a you know, huge. Um, and I would say that linebacker is also a strength for for the Cowboys. If you're going to pick anything on defense, I would have to pick linebacker. Um, and hey, off season so far, Sean Lee hasn't hurt himself yet. So, <laughs> well, it is you know mid June, so yeah. relax. Hey, hey, hey. Where when did their mini camp start? <laughs> yeah. This team has some serious weaknesses, though. Um, 
and it came to bite them when we played them. But their defensive line is atrocious. It's terrible. Um, their back seven is terrible. They, they, their coverage is just not good. Uh, <laughs> well, if their defensive line is terrible and their back seven is terrible, <laughs> what's left? Okay, okay, okay. It's safe to say their, their defense sucks. <laughs> not their back seven, but their secondary with with safeties yes. and corners were, were just not good. And to be yeah. fair, last year, the Orlando Skandrick, but he was coming off an ACL injury and that, you know, it's just a lot to ask from a corner. They need that knee strength a lot to really be effective. And he got burned quite a lot last year. Um, I think on this team, honestly, wide receiver, a weakness. I'm, I'm going to say that besides Des Bryant, who to me is a slow, big target who's strong. I mean, you have Cole Beasley think- and Terrence Williams. I mean. I'm going to take that a step further. I am going to say that Des Bryant is the most overrated player in the NFL. He's pretty close. Based, I, I based agree upon, with that. And the proportion of attention he gets, you know, the way they they slobber the guy on uh, Sunday Night Football and what he actually produces, you know, it's just not there for the amount of uh, love that he gets by, you know, national media. Yeah. To, I, I would say that he's on in the conversation for a top ten wide receiver. But the way he's treated is as if he's – it's a debate between him and, you know, Antonio Brown for the best wide receiver in the league. Yeah. If I if I showed you three sets of stats, if I showed you Brown, Beckham, and Des Bryant just took their names off, I think it's pretty far behind. Yeah. Some of that has to do with that he really is the only wide receiver on the offense. I mean, I would even say that Cole Beasley produces as much as he does because he's not Des Bryant. You yeah, know, they have a lot of they got a lot of third receivers on this team. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say wide receiver is a weakness for this team that needed to be addressed. Um, I think that their pass rush is terrible. Um, although they decimated us in the second second game of the year in, in December or November or whenever that was, uh, you know, our tackles couldn't handle it. But do we also uh, think Jason Witten might be a little long in the tooth too? Ah, you beat me to it. My last weakness of the team is tight end. Like I, I, like I realize every time he catches any ball that Chris Collinsworth has to go into his Hall of Fame song and dance with him. But the fact is, he's not as, he's not what he was three years ago. And I think not having Tony Romo, you know, changes his 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 impact on the game. I think that for a couple of years now, Jason Witten's success was built on just sort of knowing how to find little gaps. So he would run his route and not be open, and then Tony Romo, being Tony Romo, extended the play, and he just sort of knew that street ball way of playing, you know, as a receiver. Future Hall of Famer, Jason Witten. You have to say that all together. You know, it's part of the contract. It's weird. I didn't see, you know, the jacket on him while he's playing, but it seems like he's supposed to be wearing it. (laughs) And behind him, there's not a whole lot. Going into that, Behind him was Gavin Escobar, gone in free agency. So what we're saying, basically, this is a team that last year, all the pieces fell into place. They had minimal injuries in the key you know, positions that didn't have that much depth or anything, and they got away with it. So you know, relying on a relatively injury, injury-free season is next to impossible. So, and, and to be fair, the Giants were in that boat as well. This was the, the healthiest Giants team that I've seen in recent memory was last year oh for years and years absolutely relatively uh injury free so and again as soon as we start to assume that you know oh look at all this deck we have at wide receiver now and you know blah 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 next thing you know we're gonna be bringing guys in off the street for tryouts yeah um so 
other other notable free agents that the Cowboys lost were cornerback Morris Claiborne is a big name who had a suspiciously first good year of his career was his contract year. Mm. Um, safety Barry Church, guard Ronald Leary, safety J.J. Wilcox, corner Brandon Carr, defensive tackle Terrell McLean, and tight end Gavin Escobar. If you'll notice, I I mentioned a lot of guys in the secondary, which I also mentioned it was already a weakness for this team. I don't think that Brandon Carr is a, a, a particularly special corner. I, I don't think that Barry Church or J.J. Wilcox are particularly special sta- safeties. But, I mean, now you have nothing. They're not yeah. familiar with the system. So you have kind of like a lack of talent and a lack of depth now. Now you're in big trouble. So, and again, we just talked about the Eagles, you know, increasing their weapons on the outside. You know, obviously with the Giants, what they have, you know, it's not the division you want to be uh, thin back there. And that's kind of one of the reasons why you saw the Giants, you know, when they drafted Eli Apple last year, just kind of stockpiling cornerbacks because, you know, we we're we're on that tight that tightrope also of having a lack of depth after you know a solid bunch of starters. Well, I think it's also the, the Giants knew what the Cowboys were doing at the same time, right? The Giants were aware that the Cowboys were building an offensive line that they couldn't compete with. I mean, why do you think they spent so much money on snacks? I, I think the uh, the Giants knew that they needed strong run stuffers and defensive ends who could rush the passer but also play the run really well, which is why they covet Jason Pierre-Paul so well. And it's something that he doesn't get enough credit for because so many times when they talk about his contract and his hand and all this other stuff is about how well he can rush the passer. It's really not often discussed that they – how he's well a, he, he He's a two-way guy. Yes. Yeah, he's a two-way guy for sure. Uh, he he does a great job of keeping the edge. It's very rare that he he fails to set the edge. Um, mm-hmm. But I think the Giants knew that that they needed to pair Jonathan Hankins with somebody else who was going to help him stop the run in the middle, and that's why Snacks was so important to them. Obviously, the defense was terrible in 2015, and they they needed to address all phases of it. We had an absolutely atrocious run defense in 2015. It was the worst in the league. But to go out and spend money on a big name for, uh, defensive end and then again on a defensive tackle who was primarily a run stuffer I think they were quite aware of how they were going to have to be able to contain the Cowboys twice a year was going to have to be to neutralize the offensive line and potentially three times a year if you meet him again in the playoffs too or you know anyway back to the back to the Cowboys uh, they they addressed the draft uh, pretty well I would say I they, they took Taco Charlton uh, defensive end from Michigan in the first round, a guy that was mocked to the Giants quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. They he they took um, cornerback Chidobia Woozy from Colorado, a uh, highly regarded corner. They took corner Jordan Lewis from Michigan, who's a little bit shorter. He's he's going to be that that feisty little slot corner guy that's really important in this league now. Um, and then they kind of fell off a little bit. They took wide receiver Ryan Switzer, safety Xavier Woods. Corner Marquez White, defensive tackle Joey Ivy, wide receiver Noah Brown. Hey, hey, watch your mouth. Falling off with Joe, uh, Joey Ivy is not a falling off. Uh, it's totally <laughs> falling off. That, he should not have been drafted. Uh, and defensive tackle Jordan Carroll was also taken. Um, all right, go ahead. Talk about Joey Ivy. Yeah, Joe, I think you kind of uh, stole my thunder. I love the guy, but I don't think he is an NFL. Uh, quality uh defensive guy so <laughs> I, I i wish him luck <laughs> yeah 
was a little surprising to see he was on the draft board on, on the third day. You can see all the guys that they did take was defensive end, corner, corner, wide receiver, safety, corner, defensive tackle, wide receiver, defensive tackle. Yeah. They, and I think once you, once you get past like the fourth, fifth round, you have the – the freedom to take a take a little bit of a risk with a guy too. So when you say, "Well, I'm not too thrilled with these guys," it's you know, you're not counting on a fifth round pick to start or even be in rotation. Really, it's you're you're going out a little bit of a reach. Sure, and that's what free agency is for to fill those exactly. gaps until your draftees become uh, free, starters. Free free agency is to fix immediate holes. Drafting is to build a team. <laughs> Free agency is the patch you put in the bottom of your boat. The draft is a new boat. <laughs> All right, Popeye. <laughs> um, so the Cowboys spent their offseason acquiring Nolan Carroll from the Eagles, Stephen Paya, a defensive tackle, defensive end Demontre Moore. I don't know who that guy is. Um, <laughs> they retained Darren McFadden. They grabbed guard Jonathan Cooper, uh, Kellen Moore, Byron Bell. I don't think they did a particularly good job in free agency, but they were trying to do all the right things. Everything we were just saying. What was their uh, What was their cap story? Because it seems like they're in eternal cap hell. I mean, they had the ability to actually do anything in free agency. That's true. I, I I'm not entirely sure. I didn't I didn't look into that, but uh, they they have been in eternal cap hell partly due to Tony Romo's contract, but also partly due because they had the cap punishment for abusing right. the uncapped year, which I never understood anyway. Yeah, it was something like that was. Never guaranteed it was going to remain an uncapped year. They may claw it back, and then when the new CBA happened, it did claw back or something like that. But again, if you have an owner who's interested in selling tickets and making money, who's also your GM, they're not thinking with the smartest intentions. So, which blows my mind, by the way. Do the Cowboys really have trouble selling jerseys? Do the Cowboys have hype problems? Well, you know, it's like short man syndrome. You got to buy the biggest stadium. You have to have the biggest, you know, you got to spend a billion, you have to spend a billion dollars on a practice facility. You know, it's, you know, that's what they are. I mean, it seems like the Yankees are selling dirt after somebody hits a 3000 hit. You know, it, it's just, it, in my opinion, it cheapens the brand, but you know, that's me. You don't have to, you know, when they get into the rant about going to a game in late November at giant stadium on a, a Sunday night and you see all these clowns from North Jersey with their North Jersey accents who are, let's go Cowboys. And it's just like the most ridiculous thing, yeah. you know, bandwagon, bandwagon, bandwagon central it's and a, the cowboy, the cowboy brand is catering to that national fan base. So switch their Yankee hat for Duke blue devils hat and, yeah, but by I, the way, most most Cowboy fans are probably in mourning tonight over uh, LeBron James losing last night in the uh, <laughs> in the finals for Cleveland, but, you know. <laughs> in any case, uh, just like the Eagles, the Cowboys, uh, a lot is going to hinge on Dak Prescott's development. Um, and, and you make an excellent point that I hadn't even considered. And, you know, how much of the playbook was he given early on in the year last year? How much did they really expect from him? Were they really just rolling the dice and giving him piecemeal until it was very clear that he was going to be the starter for the whole year? These are – that's an excellent point. Uh, you know, with a full off season, he could be a totally unrecognizable player and be even better next year. That's absolutely true. Um, it, it, it's the one thing that scares me the most in the entire division right now, to be very honest, is – you know, again, we said before that Wentz has a higher upside for like physical skills and like maybe downfield, but Dak just seems he's got that it factor. He's got those intangibles. He seems like he's a very smart guy. You know, the offense is built around not making mistakes and you know, having that offensive line, the ability to run it, and everything. So it, it's really the one thing that really worries me is 
he might be a guy like a a Troy Aikman didn't have fantastic numbers, but you might see him at some point with two to three rings and being that type of guy. And that's what worries me. That's certainly a possibility. Uh, I've made note that uh, the Cowboys were held back by Dak Prescott's unwillingness, whether that be him or Jason Garrett or whoever, who was not willing to throw the ball so much and just stick with that run game. It certainly held them back because it allowed the Giants to play to their strength. That It allowed you to key on uh, Cole Beasley and Des Bryant and force Terrence Williams to be a football player. Um, can we can we also put it as a weakness? And I'm going to say this: that uh, Jason Garrett is a, is a weakness on this team. You know, I wrote it and then deleted it because I didn't think it was, you know, necessary for the whole off season adjustments sort of part of the conversation. But well, I mean, they're not going to get a free agent, get a new head coach. But I mean, you were talking about strengths and weaknesses of the team, and to me, you know, I just don't understand a team. And I'm going to I'm going to lump in a team like the Cleveland Cavaliers in with this, where you have talent. Star talent, uh, you know, a, a, a national um, spotlight on you, high expectations for everybody, and you get these shithead quarter uh, coaches that are, you know, inexperienced, proven losers. You know, you you don't have a Ferrari and have a, a taxi driver in it, and I just don't understand why. You know, maybe that's something where he goes back to Jerry Jones, who still wants to be the biggest name in the room or get all the glory for himself. Or maybe he's still singed from the Jerry Johnson years, but you know, you go back to the Dave Campos and you know all these just Norv Turner's. These guys are sucky head coaches, and they continue. And Jason Garrett, because I don't know, nine years ago was a good offensive coordinator, and, and he's he, he's still you know either the team underachieves or it's bad coaching, and you know it's it's one of the things that holds back teams like this. So. Well, I think one of the things with him is his time management has never gotten better for him. He's not been able – I mean now he can control the clock because the talent allows him to control the clock. But when it comes down to making the right decisions and even last year, staying fucking in bounds instead of going out of bounds, that yeah. first game could have easily been a loss if he had you know, drilled it into his players. Like this is the time to run out of bounds. We do not try and pick up extra yards in the middle of the field. It's Andy Reid syndrome. It says you may be a great coach, but when it comes down to timeout management, you know, stopping clocks and challenges. You know, for, yeah, exactly. That's kind of the mark of what a good coach and a bad coach is, you know, because, you know, again, offensive scheme and defensive scheme, what you're going to do, that's delegated to your your coordinators and everything. But what a coach influences the most is those those decisions on the field, you know, and he sucks at it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, with the Cowboys, of course, you're always going to have this thing where part of the, the 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 prerequisite to being the Dallas Cowboys head coach is having the personality to deal with Jerry Jones. Um, I cannot, for the life of me, imagine Tom Coughlin working for Jerry Jones. Oh, no. I mean, I can't imagine a guy like Jimmy Johnson ever worked for him. But I guess so. it's a different, a different time where they kind of came in relatively as, quote-unquote, equals. But... You're right. You know, think of all the uh, the major person. Can you imagine a Bill Belichick Holy working shit. for Jerry Jones? Not at all. I mean, I'm surprised that a guy like Jerry Jones never made a run at a guy like Bill Belichick. I mean, now it's obviously too late, but you know, maybe 10, 12 years ago, because that's you know the type of thing the Cowboys try to do is go for star power. You know, they they got guys like Bill Parcells and things before. So yeah, yeah, that's actually, that's actually something interesting. We're talking about. Coaches that you have know, big personalities. Bill Parcells played for him, not for very Coach, long. About a couple of years, couple of years. Not a, not a very long. 
I think he was with the uh, Dolphins longer. But ever since Parcells, they've not had a dominant head coach. They've, I'd I go so far as they... I, I think you're right. I think uh, Jerry Jones is just seeking out that, you know, the guy who can hold it together while also being the, the beta male in the room. Well, I think, he, I think he wants to prove to everybody, and he's had from the day Jerry Johnson left the team, that he was just an important part of that organization and those Super Bowl rings as Jerry was, as yeah. Jerry Johnson was. Jimmy Johnson brothers. I mean, yeah. I, I'm gonna go by the list. I mean, this is after after Switzer. I mean, Switzer won a Super Bowl. Chan Gailey, Dave Campo, Wade Parcells, Phillips. which was for four years. Wade Phillips, Jason Garrett. Yeah. I mean, that's a that's a pretty that's a pretty solid list of losers. Uh, of, no, no, of, of fantastic coordinators who have tried and failed and tried and failed and tried and failed. But they failed everywhere. Exactly, yeah. But I'm saying, but they, all of them are, you know, as soon as they get fired as being a head coach, they're an offensive coordinator somewhere, a defensive coordinator somewhere, and are very successful. I mean, I can't imagine somebody like Mike McCarthy or um, Mike Tomlin, you know, working for him. No, no. Not going to put with that bullshit. Yeah. I also think that Jerry Jones is 99% of that problem, like we've outlined. And it's been reported that his son is slowly phasing him out and that most of the recent drafts while Jerry Jones has been the figurehead kind of guy it's really been his son doing all the legwork behind it and making the decisions um, and I think if it ever comes to the point where Chris Jones I believe his name is uh, takes over for Jerry that may not be an issue going forward but you know this is this is interesting I thought he was older than he is um his face is about 11 years old, but he is only 74 years old. Well, I mean, you know how that goes, that scene in Star Wars where Senator Palpatine gets hit by his own curse and he starts to get, you know, wrinkled and stuff. I know okay, now the, the worst Star Wars movies, but... Yeah, we, we don't acknowledge that 1, 2, and 3 happened, and we'll have our uh, Just Star Wars podcast start very shortly, but... Uh, you know how it is. Another... You, you tamper with the dark arts and you... you that's, that's what happens to you. You start looking older than you actually are. Another sad thing also about Jerry Jones, he has the same birthday as me too. So <laughs> me me and Margaret Thatcher and Paul Simon and Jerry Jones. That's a Mount Rushmore for you of October thirteenth. So <laughs> I think I share mine with Miley Cyrus. It makes you feel any better. Uh, and the pieces are all coming together. <laughs> Enough of that shit. Let's move <laughs> on to the Washington Redskins. Um the Redskins were an interesting team last year. They finished 8-7-1, and one, so just slightly better than the Eagles. Don't you just have a whole different feeling about the Redskins than you do about the Eagles, even though they finished one game better? I, I just get the feeling they're just on the verge of something, but something is not there, and I don't know what that is. I, I feel like they have a pretty solid head coach. I feel like Kirk Cousins, we've had this discussion many times, you know, pre-podcast and even on this show where we rank Kirk Cousins with NFC East quarterbacks, you know, a solid stable of running backs. You know, I just don't understand why this team isn't better. And I don't know if it's just the curse of their owner or, or what it is. I'll say yes. I thought last year they would be better than they were. I, I think ending 8-7-1 and one was surprising for me. And I think also what, what I was going to say is that they they were lucky to end up 8-7-1 and one because they started off bad and we handed them – uh, their first win, where I and you and I have both said this that if they had started zero and three, their their season would just be oh shut we were down. we were super fucking pissed after that game because I remember saying you know 
there was talk that they may fire Gruden. You know, it, it was complete chaos, and all of a sudden they beat the Giants, and you know, all's well, and they just you know right the ship a little bit. Uh, but you know, the Redskins are one of those teams where. You know, out of nowhere, they've won seven in a row, and it's like, oh my God, the hottest team in the NFL is the Redskins, and then they'll yak away an opportunity to make the playoffs or something, or just, you know, if they do make the play- playoffs, just flame out immediately. Yeah, I can tell you what the missing pieces are, but I did think that they should have been better last year, and I'm not quite sure what it was that really hindered them so much, but. Um, I mean, we can go into it, so so we'll, we'll jump right into the strengths. Uh, I think their passing game last year was outstanding. Uh, they, they did a great job picking up Jamison Crowder. I think right, right. Jamison Crowder was the perfect wide receiver for Jay Gruden's offense. I think he's outstanding. I think he should have been drafted higher than he was drafted. Um, I mean, they also picked Josh Doxson, which I think was he, – he, he's an overrated big possession receiver that I don't think necessarily fits – the system very well but you know complimenting was Jordan Reed and Deshaun Jackson I think the passing game and, and, and Kirk Cousins in general is that that fastball type quarterback who really fires it in there uh, I thought their passing game was very difficult to deal with um, you know last year especially for the first time seeing Jordan Reed healthy all year I believe for the first time I, I believe he was yes um I thought that adding Josh Norman to their cornerback, Brashad Breland, who is slowly coming along as being a, a, a good corner, um, tre- helped tremendously. Uh, he, I think he finished in the top five for lowest quarterback rating when targeted. Um, let, me ask you que- let me ask you a question. We talk about Josh Norman for a second. I don't want him to turn this into the, you know, the Beckham Norman show, but... In in the two plus years of this rivalry, who do you say has gotten the better of their matchups? Oh, it's no question. the The stats actually in, indicate that Beckham abused the shit out of him. Yeah, there's, there's, there's no question. Right. Um. Other than other than his ability to to uh, get in Beckham's head and you know have caused him to, you know that suspension you know two years ago. Implode. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. And which me, and there's something there's something to be said for that as well. Absolutely. Yeah. You took it right out of me. Um. You know. Football, like any other sport, is a mental game as well as a physical game. Uh, you know, being able to keep your fucking head straight and being able to get into the minds of other people, and you know, and it doesn't have to be something where you're taunting and making them do stupid things. It's as simple as being that hard hitting safety over the middle that makes people cringe away from the ball. You know, mm-hmm. when running a crossing route, or, or, or you know, take any any takes out of your rhythm. Yeah, exactly. That makes you not play the game the way you know how to play the game. It's all mental part of the game, and sure, it's it's part of it. Um, and it started before the rivalry. If you really remember, that Carolina game started before the game started with Josh Norman and some other schmuck with a baseball bat in the middle of the field. Right, right. That's where well, it that started. Was- well, that was the height of Carolina's swagger that year. If you remember, they were they were undefeated. They were, you know, they were the Miami Hurricanes. Yeah, you know, they got a, a complete scumbag of a of a quarterback, and you know his arrogance and everything, and just you know that was the height of it. That was such a Canes move. Oh God, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, okay. But regardless, it can't be debated that he is a good corner. Uh, that he definitely added something to a terrible secondary last year. Um, and like I said, when targeted, he finished in the top five, I believe fourth, for lowest quarterback rating when targeted. Uh, I mean, you know, that's important. Um, I think that the Redskins, we, we discussed with tight end Jordan Reed, incredible. Um, 
hopefully we've we've caught lightning with um, our own Jordan Reed. Yeah, it, it getting a lot of comparisons to him, so that's a good sign. I mean, if he's being compared to Will Ty, I'd be very worried. <laughs> Don't forget that they also have Vernon Davis, while is certainly 33 years old, is still that athletic mismatch kind of tight end that you can't sleep on him. You know, they had a, a great team of tight ends last year that were definitely something to deal with. Weaknesses, very obvious. Their defensive line is terrible. Um, I don't think that their running back situation ever improved after losing Alfred Morris. I think that they kind of took him for granted a little bit. They let him go, and they really haven't... Matt Jones is pretty up and down, I guess. Yeah. You know, he's kind of out of, out of nowhere. And quite frankly, pretty surprised with the success he's had in the NFL. I mean, he was a solid runner for the Gators, but I wouldn't say this is the next uh, Emmett Smith coming out of Florida by any stretch, or Fred Taylor. You know, he could take a jump. But I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say he was a strength on the team last year. I would say overall the running back situation was a bit of a weakness. I was far more afraid of Kirk Cousins than I was of Matt Jones running around. Even at the yeah. height of his hype, which he did have that fiery stretch in the middle there. Yeah, didn't he have a game he had over 200 yards? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, maybe I didn't care so much because I knew that our defensive line would take care of it. But, <laughs> um, And then the other one is safety position for this team is just abysmal. I can't believe D'Angelo Hall is still playing. <laughs> Every time for the last three years I've watched him get hurt in the Giants-Redskins game and think to myself that – this is definitely his last year, and he's still playing, and he's still getting hurt. He's like Daryl Green. You remember the cornerback they had like in the 80s and 90s? He was like 40 years old and still ran like a 4-4, and they, <laughs> he's still on the team. <laughs> they were a pretty balanced team last year. Like I said, they, you know, just three strengths, three weaknesses, very balanced. I thought that they would end up better than a 500, just just sub-500, but I've been wrong before. Um, I, think the Reds, I think the Redskins are one of those teams where, you know, there's always a team that comes out of nowhere that didn't make the playoffs a year before and could all of a sudden, you know, either be at least, you know, a wild card or possibly even a division champ. I, I think this team has the the possibility that they could be that team this year. I, I really do. Again, I just don't I like Kirk Cousins more than I think a lot of people do. I, I think he's a solid quarterback. I don't know. There's just something about the Redskins that worries me more than playing even Dallas. And that doesn't make any sense, but just kind of a irrational fear I have. We we did lose to the Redskins last year. We didn't lose to Dallas. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, there's it, something to be said about that. But there's also something where Washington is never ready for prime time. And, like, that the Larry Donnell come out game a couple of years ago, you know, that Thursday night game was just an example of that, where sometimes they just don't show up. And, you know, we will get lucky, and that's one of the games we play them this year. I think that Washington's biggest problem is that if I had to guess as to what their their issue was with preventing them from being the better team that I expect them to be, is that they have a collection of attitudes. Doesn't it seem like they the, all their talent is just sort of a bunch of dickheads? Yeah, I mean they get you know you said before like how the Giants made other big free agent splashes with guys that are twenty seven and twenty eight. This seems like a team that always gets guys in free agency that's a little late, and that's you know and that, and hence that's you're, you're bringing along. You know, a lot of baggage with them sometimes with some of these guys. And but I mean, you're bringing, general, you're, like, you're, you're bringing a Josh Norman onto the team. Yeah. You're, you're, you're looking for that. You're, you know, you have Deshaun Jackson who was on the team before this year. I mean, Jesus Christ. You bring guys like that in, they're a little past their prime and are just big mouths. That, that, that's a problem. The worst of which is Pierre Garçon. Yeah, another one. Yeah. But, you know, they, they, they've cleaned house of all those guys. So maybe it's a, 
you know, an attitude adjustment to this team as much as a physical one. I mean, for their sake, I hope so. But I mean, we'll we'll, we'll see. Not for our not for our sake. But. No, but <laughs> you know, going right into that perfect segue. The the Redskins lost their center John Sullivan. That's a big loss. Um, it, it's an underrated loss. I don't think people realize that until you have David Boss snapping to Eli Manning, and then you got a fucking problem. Um, <laughs> but like you said, Deshaun Jackson, Pierre Garcon gone. Um, and defensive end Chris Baker. Those are their, their primary losses in free agency this year. Um, and while we've mentioned that those two guys are, are attitude adjustment sort of guys, Pierre Garçon is that possession receiver that gets the first down for you. Deshaun Jackson is that guy who only has to make the one play. Deshaun Jackson, to me, can can have two catches, but the fact is that out of those two catches, he has like 110 yards and one touchdown. You know? and, you have to, and you have to game plan for him. Mm-hmm. For the whole game, even though he may have the two catches only. Yeah. Whereas with Pierre Garçon, he might have eight catches for 60 yards, but he's the other kind of pain in the ass where he's just just at the sticks every time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, those are those are key losses despite the fact that I think that they have attitude problems and may have been hindering the team in some way. And they um, fired their GM too. He lost that power struggle with Gruden. Which I think was probably the right move. Mm-hmm. In any case, the Redskins, I think, had – one of the better drafts of the NFC East teams. Uh, they took defensive tackle Jonathan Allen first. Wow. That immediate, yeah, yeah. immediately changes that weakness of defensive line right there. Sure, they took sure. outside linebacker Ryan Anderson. A little bit higher than I would have taken him, but still, immediate impact, I think, on the on a, a pretty piss-poor defense. Uh, they took corner mm-hmm. from UCLA, Fabian Morrow. They took running back Samaj P. Ryan. How about that running game? It was a weakness. Well, I mean, they've been playing college football now for 140 years, and he's he ran for more yards in a game than anybody ever has, you know, and not at some pipsqueak school either, you know, at Oklahoma. Yeah. That's saying something. So yeah, I mean, the the guy's a stud, you know, to get him down, you know, again, the NFL kind of undervalues running backs right now, and you know, I think that was a steal getting him down there in the fourth round. They went ahead and took safety Monte Nicholson. They grabbed another tight end with Jeremy Sprinkle from Arkansas. They grabbed the new center with Chase something Roulier. I'm not sure who he is, really. (laughs) Um, Wide receiver Robert Davis, linebacker Josh Harvey Clemens, and cornerback Joshua Holsey. Uh, But overall, I thought the top half of their draft contained a number of immediate depth or um, starting caliber players. Immediate starters, I think, too. I think Jonathan Allen is – that guy is a complete badass. And if you've watched you know, Alabama in the last couple of years, you know what a badass he is. For a team full of badasses to see one guy stand out as a complete badass, that tells you something. Sure. And of all the, uh, the draft picks in the NFC East, he's the guy who worries me the most. I mean our offensive line is shaky anyway. Um, mm-hmm. The fact that he can play all over the defensive line, too. He doesn't have to go against Justin Pugh and Weston Richburg, our best guys. He can play up against Bobby Hart. He can play yeah. the end position. Why not? Hey, Jonathan Allen versus Bobby Hart will keep me up at night. Yeah. And I don't care if we have two tight ends set both lined up to that side. It's, right. It's not going to go well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in the – in. Free agency, they uh, acquired safety DJ Swearinger, defensive tackle Stacey McGee, and Terrell McLean. 
Um, they grabbed wide receiver Terrell Pryor, one-year wonder, I believe, as wide receiver in Cleveland. You know, I don't get it with I don't get it with a guy like him. You know, it's just the guy is just an athlete, and you're right. He had like a nice little run, but I'm not paying that guy big bucks. I'm not counting on him to be, you know, my, you know, my number two receiver, number one receiver, possibly. Yeah, and to me, he's another dickhead. He got is he really Norris a dickhead? Jenkins. Oh, that's right. Yeah, but I mean. That's assuming that Janoris Jenkins is a choir boy, and I don't, you know, based I mean, on I personal. I certainly <laughs> don't don't think that, but something something about Terrell Pryor, I just, I could see him being, a, you know, a locker room problem kind of guy. In, in a locker room full of malcontents, it could be, you know, combustible very quickly. Yeah, uh, they also had a wide receiver Brian Quick and inside linebacker Zach Brown. Uh you know. I think that the Redskins had the best draft of the teams that we covered today. I just don't think that they improved enough of what they lost. You know, losing your starting center, losing your, you know, two wide receivers who definitely need to be accounted for. Now, when I look at them, you know, you're asking a lot of Josh Doxson to replace Pierre Garçon already. You're putting the ball pretty much in the hands of Jordan Reed and Jamison Crowder to be. Yeah. You, you know the passing. Game. I think they took their biggest strength and they they really walked away from it. Unless Terrell Pryor can really really show that last year was not just. You, you're asking for a lot of good, a lot of things to go right with this. You're asking for Pryor to step up again. You're make. You're asking that Jordan Reed is healthy. You're asking a lot. I think that they did enough to improve their defensive line, but not enough to improve safety position. Uh, you know, I, I think that the running back position has been neutralized. I'll, I'll wait to see on P. Ryan. And also, we're asking a lot for these guys. You know, we're looking at this in a 2017 vacuum, too. It's like a guy like P. Ryan, you know, two, three years could pan out to be a lot better than, you know, expectations are. So. Sure, that's that's also true. You want to do a quick uh, quick prediction, uh, ranking the teams one to four, as of uh, just based on addition subtractions, how do you see the the, the uh, one through four? Let's do it that way. Based on plus or minus from last year, how would you rank these four teams? Based on plus or minus, I would say Eagles, Giants, Redskins, Cowboys. So you're saying that the Eagles had the best improvement? Yeah. The Cowboys, the Cowboys had the worst. Had the, le- the, the lowest improvement. Yeah, I mean, I would say the Giants were kind of almost neutral, I think. What's going to happen this year? You know, long term, you know, Ingram is you know going to be a key and everything. But I don't think they lost really anything to be you know. Oh my God, this team is depleted from what they were last year. Yeah, it's pretty much just Jonathan Hankins. Right, and I you know I don't think nobody's really that concerned about losing him anyway. It's just you know not as much as you know losing other guys would have been. So I, I think I think year one through four is the same. Um, however, I don't think that that is going to be in any case the way the standings will roll out. Um, I'd have to look more in depth at the schedule. I'd have to look, you know, obviously we're going to have to see what the rosters really look like when they're 53, man, you know. You lucky listeners have a whole podcast episode for our predictions for the division. So we'll really break it down and and kind of make our, our, you know, who comes in first place and what our record predictions will be and everything, so. If if I had to guess now, though, I would say that it would be a close call for first place between the Cowboys and Giants based on current roster. Um, and I think that the Redskins and Eagles will be third and fourth, respectively. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm 
I'm kind of angling myself, and I, I see with the potential for the Giants to make a pretty significant, even you know, into the 12 and four type area if our offensive line can produce. Yeah, it's that, and that's the shakiest part for me. I'm not too worried about yeah. the linebacking core or you know nope. anything else. But if, if I think the if offense the, can put up numbers, then if the, if the offense 12 and four, 13 three, but. If the if the offensive line can run block, this team has the potential of thirteen and three. And I think it people might say I'm a homer and everything, but just look at the pieces on this team and you know, everything is kind of predicated on the ability to run the ball. The ability to, you know, in short yardage, you know, third and one, goal line situations. If we can improve on those things and, you know, have any hint of a of a a, a coherent running game, a consistent running game, this offense can explode. And you combine that with the defense that we have right now, this team could be a favorite in the NFC. Yeah. Um, and and like I said, I don't think that the Cowboys did enough this offseason to really fix things, but it is all going to hinge on Dak Prescott like we covered. I think everything went right for the Cowboys last year too. And, uh, you know, and you, and you saw what happened in the playoff game when they played a really good offense. Oh, yeah. You know, Picked apart. Picked apart, and I'm and I'm convinced too that if the Giants hadn't blown it against the Packers, they would have beaten them a third time. I think that the Giants truly gained the Cowboys' number last year. They were in their head. I don't think that the Cowboys wanted to play the Giants ever again. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I could see that. Sure, absolutely. And I and and that goes all the way up to the owner, the head coach, everyone along the line. To, to, they didn't know how to deal with the Giants last year. Yeah. In any case, that's going to do it for us this week. Our first episode debuting on iTunes. Next week, we're going to go over the the 2017 Giants schedule, make a couple predictions, maybe not win losses, but just you know how the game will play out, etc. Um, and we'll have mini camp wrap up. Um, in the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter at, at football underscore grump, or you can follow the podcast at, at just giants pod. You can send us an email at just giants podcast at gmail.com. You can follow me at the cranky fan and listen to my companion show, which is not yet on iTunes, but is on SoundCloud called Mark and the cranky fan, where we talk all things Florida Gator football. Uh, again, you can follow me on Twitter at the cranky fan. And again, we are now available on iTunes where you you can subscribe to us and get all our sort of weekly podcasts for now. We will definitely be much more, at least weekly, when the season gets closer. Yeah, we will, we will settle into some sort of routine once the season starts. But uh, you know, and, uh, until then, we will we'll be approximately once a week going forward. Um, but on iTunes, please leave a review for us, and please tell a friend, and please tweet all your criticisms and your hate mail towards us we'd love to hear from you all right that's gonna do it for us let's go giants go giants